Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ruth, and I feel like I should really start with something like uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, seems a little bit odd, but I've had my head in the Christmas story thoroughly over the last few weeks, and um, I know it's a little bit early for the greeting, so I won't do that. Just letting you know, I was thinking I felt like doing that. But, um, you know, I've realised that there's a spectrum when it comes to the preparations around Christmas. And at one extreme end of that spectrum are the people who feel it's necessary and important to start their preparations months out from the date of Christmas Day. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there are those people that perhaps wake up on Christmas Eve and think, oh, I better go and do some shopping today. Yep, Oliver, youth pastor. I actually am pretty close to where Oliver is on the spectrum. <laughs> um, I'm kind of just a little bit from the edge. I'm about two weeks out. I think, hmm, feels a little bit Christmassy. Let's get involved. And then off I go and I make it all happen. In my defence, we have two birthdays in our family. 16th of December, we have more than two birthdays in our family. We have two in December, 16th and 20. Fourth. Thank you very much. So um, it's a little hard for me to get my head into Christmas until it's very close. So I'm not the earliest starter when it comes to the festive season. I actually find the whole uh, silly season aspect of Christmas completely unappealing, exhausting, and just kind of um, something I, I actually try to avoid, actively try to avoid. But there is something that I absolutely love about Christmas. In fact, there's many things. But the one thing I want to talk about this morning is that I love nativity sets. Now, I didn't realise I actually had so many until this last week when I've been thinking through so many nativity themed things, and as it turns out, I have quite a number. And I haven't counted them because I'm a little bit scared. Um, and I never intended to be a collector of nativity sets. It's just that there's this contrast. When I see the Christmas decorations come out in the stores, sometimes in September, um, I start to feel this little bit of um, anxiety, sort of this hurriedness, um, a bit frantic, and I'm not really loving that feeling, but when I see a nativity set or a nativity scene, I feel very different. I feel a sense of calm, peace, and beauty. And so I want that. So perhaps that's why I have inadvertently bought many nativity sets, and I almost bought one yesterday, but I didn't because I thought that's just silly now that I know how many, or well, I don't have a number, but now I know that there are many in my home, but I might go back and buy it tomorrow. It was really cute. Um, and it flat packs, so Paul, wherever you are, it won't take up much room. <laughs> So I once kept a nativity set on my kitchen bench for about eight months. Um, it was just a little one, terracotta, beautiful, simple, little um, a terracotta cave with little uh, figurines to go inside. And I left it there not because of my um, less than wonderful housekeeping skills, let's not go there. Um, I left it there because I enjoyed it so much. 
And I simply felt, why rush past this season that brings such joy and peace and calm? And I wanted that beauty to be visual in my home for a bit longer. <clears throat> I'm a little odd like that. Um, so I, I have no problem with stretching it out, even though I seem to have an issue or challenge with getting it started at the beginning of the season. But I actually believe, in all honesty and seriousness, that the nativity is so incredibly important to the earth, to creation, to each and every person, that it shouldn't be ever limited to a season or a month or a day on our calendars. I see it as a reality for every day, every season and every person. Now, there are some tips I want to start with for you in your pursuit of nativity set collecting. Um, so, just this is, I offer this consultancy for free. Um, because let me tell you, not all nativity sets are good nativity sets. Some of them do not represent well the story that they are intended to um, show to us. So, let's have a look at some images, because um, I have scoured the earth. And by the earth, I mean the internet. Um, and I found some. This one, what I like about it is it's low budget. And I'm all about not overspending at Christmas. That is not good. But what I actually think might have happened is a dog got into a packet of peanuts in their shells, got a little excited, and then got distracted by the cat and left this behind. Now, it's turned out quite well, but, um, you know, it's... it's I'm a, I'm a little bit, there's pros and cons. So the second one we can have a look at today looks fairly normal until you see their expressions, right? What's going on in that stable? Um, so uh, they're all so unimpressed. Not, Jesus included the angel, the animals, unimpressed. I like to call this the negativity nativity. Um, that's harder to say than I expected it to be. Um, thirdly, we have this one. If someone told me that a three-year-old put this together, I'd be so impressed. I'd be like, let's keep that up for a year. But what I think has happened is a Swedish designer has <laughs> taken minimalism way too far, and I'm not okay with that. No, not for me. Lastly, and seriously, this one. We've got um, the baby cheeses. Um, yes, I did say that. I did. Baby cheeses. Um, but the good thing about this is it doubles as your Christmas evening platter when you don't feel like cooking a meal because you don't need to, you've eaten so much. So there we go. All those tips for free. Let me know how you go. I didn't expect that. Okay, good. I can keep going. I've got like the interwebs on my phone and I can just look up more photos. No, not helpful. So let's look at the word nativity because it's key. It's key. Love is a nativity, is what we're looking at today. And it actually has quite a generic meaning, which is the process or circumstances of being born, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. It's related to the words native, nature, natural, makes sense. So technically, we all have our own nativity story, personally. Isn't that cool? But if you start going around telling your own nativity story, people aren't really going to think you're all together, so don't do that. But it is the process and circumstances of our birth, 
over time, this term has become synonymous with the birth of Jesus. Rightly so, because his birth is the most life-changing, world-transforming birth that has ever happened. So this topic, love is a nativity, simply means that the story of Jesus' birth is all about love. The early chapters of Luke and Matthew are where you'll find the biblical account of Jesus' birth and the nativity story. We are going to see them on the screen, but we're not going to read them all because we just don't have the time this morning. But with the references there, if you aren't completely familiar with where to find them in the Bible, then please take note and do that. Read every part of Jesus' birth story, the nativity. So here are the passages. We're just going to have the first one, which is from Luke 1, um, verses 26 to 38. And um, there's a lot of text there. But the key points are that God sent his angel Gabriel to visit a virgin living in Nazareth. Her name was Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph of the family of David. He greeted her. She was quite disturbed. But in verse 30, he says this, Don't be afraid, Mary, because God is pleased with you. Listen, you will become pregnant, you'll give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and people will call him the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of King David, his ancestor. He will rule over the people of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary was appropriately shocked and asked, How will this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will cover you. The baby will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. Well, she receives that and accepts it and she finishes by saying, I am the servant girl of the Lord. Let this happen to me as you say. Over in Matthew 1, 18 to 25, we have part of this story from Joseph's point of view. Now, Joseph was her fiance and he found out the news of her pregnancy and he was I'm sure extremely distressed that this had happened because he knew it was not his child so he decided to quietly but kindly call off the wedding thankfully an angel visited him in a dream and partway through verse 20 said this Joseph the baby that Mary will have is from the Holy Spirit Go ahead and marry her. Then after the baby is born, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So he did what he was told. He went ahead with that marriage to Mary. Um, but it says that he didn't, they didn't sleep together before the baby was born. But then Joseph named him Jesus. And Luke 2, 1 to 20 fills in some of the gaps. There's a census, a census that is called in the whole Roman Empire. And everyone has to go back to the town of their ancestor's birth. For Joseph, it's Bethlehem because he's in the family of King David. So they head there together, Mary and Joseph, Mary being very pregnant. And in verse 6, it says, While they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to have her child. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger because there wasn't any room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds nearby in their fields with their sheep at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them magnificently with the glory of the Lord all around, terrifying them. But the angel said, don't be afraid. 
In verse 10, I have good news for you, a message to fill everyone with joy. Today, your saviour, Christ the Lord, was born in David's city. This is how you will recognise him. You will find an infant wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Well, an army of angels appear, they sing praises to God, and the shepherds get excited and they say, let's let's do what they've said, let's go to Bethlehem. They go quickly, they find Mary and Joseph, Joseph with their baby lying in a manger. When they saw the child after they had visited him, they went out and they told everyone about what they had been told and what they had seen. And everyone who heard the shepherd's story was amazed. And then in Matthew 2, 1 to 12, it's not on the screen because I wasn't initially going to mention it, but it's the visit of the wise men. And they come from the far east and they take a bit longer to get there. But they come following a star because they understand the heavens and they know this is a king's star and they want to find him to worship him. And so eventually that star that they're following leads them to Bethlehem and stops over the place where Jesus is. And it says in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 2, When the men went into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They knelt down and worshipped him, took out their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh, and gave them to him. So what can we learn about love from this magnificent story, from this nativity? I'm just going to highlight three things, but if you read and take on this Christmas story, this um, beautiful nativity, then you will find many things. Ask God to show you new things about the story of Jesus' birth. But number one this morning is that love is unexpected. Nothing about Jesus' birth was as people expected. Not Mary, Joseph, not the King Herod or the people of Israel. Joseph wasn't expecting a pregnant wife prior to their marriage. Joseph was not, uh, or Mary was not expecting to give birth in an unfamiliar town, in a stable, laying her baby in a manger. She wasn't expecting to do a long journey whilst heavily pregnant, uh, apparently over 100 kilometres, five to six days to make that journey. Let's hope there was a donkey. It's not actually mentioned in the biblical account, but I'm certain they would have been a way for her to get there, some kind of extra transport. And the people of Israel, what about them? Their expectations were that a Messiah would come, a chosen one of God. He would be a saviour to their people. But they were thinking more traditionally impressive, like um, a military leader or someone in a powerful political family. But this is not who Jesus was. In fact, he was, as the angel said, the one who had come to save them from their sins, from themselves, in in effect. Because God provided the saviour they needed, not the one they thought they wanted. Because God's rescue plan required the Son of God to be a servant leader and a sacrificial saviour, not a glorified national hero. Well, we can also take from this story that love is unlimited. God did not limit his love in any way when 
the story of Jesus' birth played out and the story of Jesus' life. He could have sent his angels with the full message that Jesus came to bring, but he didn't. He sent his son, his only son. He could have sent Jesus as an adult just for three years, ministry, walk around, then return to heaven. He did not do that. Instead, he was born a helpless baby. He grew from a child to an adult. He even then went as an adult to the extreme of dying on a cross as a sacrifice for all people because this was how he was to save them and us from sin. The kind of love shown to us in Jesus' birth story is one of 100% God giving himself to us in his son. Sent in the purest form of a baby, but then living the purest life, completely sinless, the only person, the only human to ever live that way was Jesus, the Son of God, choosing a sinless life and a life of sacrifice. He had to be perfect to fulfill that role of being a sacrifice on the cross to pay for our sin. So this story of love weaves its way from heaven to earth on the night of Jesus' birth. But it continues. It's not an old story that we enjoy remembering only. It's also a story for today as it weaves its time way through time and place and into the hearts and lives of people like us right now. It's not meant to be left in history. It's meant to be a reality that we can live. And it was never intended to stay pristine. Like we wanted Jesus to come as that um, that prince, that heavenly king, like Winnie showed us that beautiful, incredible royal crib last week. But no, it was not that kind of scene, as we know. It was set in an ordinary, unimpressive, imperfect place. And it's intended to find its way into our ordinary, unimpressive, imperfect lives. And like the simple stable and the manger have become seen as holy ground, so we and our lives can become holy with his presence in us when we accept him. This story is one that we are meant to fully immerse ourselves into. God refused to limit his love for us. And we should refuse to limit him being part of our lives. Thirdly, we can learn that love is for all people. It's excessively inclusive. When it comes to Jesus, no one is excluded from the gift of his salvation. It's available to everyone, but we get to choose to receive or not receive it. The angel said in Luke 10, I bring good news, which will bring great joy to all people. And it was the shepherds who were the very first ones to hear it. It's a little bit surprising because whilst they had a very important job, it wasn't one of prestige or honour or glamour in any way. They were working class. They probably weren't that esteemed in social circles, even though they played a critical role in the practices of their, of their culture and their religion. But not only were these shepherds the first to hear the news, they were also the first to visit Jesus and the first to start telling others about him and who he was, telling the nativity. Because of their job as shepherds, 
They understood the significance when the angel told them that the sign to look for was a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger in Bethlehem. They knew the importance of this, of a perfect newborn, firstborn male lamb as a sacrifice to cover the sins of their whole nation. They didn't yet understand how this would play out fully, but when they heard the words of the angels, they were aware that Bethlehem was known as the place where these lambs were born. They knew about the need to wrap these lambs in strips of cloth, the swaddling cloth, and place them in a manger to protect them from any injury or blemish in the early days of their life so they would be perfect to atone for the sins of their people at the temple. So when the angel said that a newborn baby was being treated in the same way as one of these sacrificial lambs, they knew without a doubt this was the sign that this baby was God's chosen one. And regardless of how unexpected and how it didn't fit into all the expectations that they and others had, that he was the Messiah, the one to save the people, all people, from their sins. No more lambs required as a sacrifice. They were astounded by the significance of who he was, and what his purpose would be, and it was because of their simple role as shepherds. And then the wise men, or the magi, as it calls them in the Bible, they followed that star from another land to come and worship a newborn king. They didn't come for the glory or the benefits that might be associated with um, connecting themselves to a network of, of royalty, as others might have thought. They came to worship him. They came to bring him gifts that would tell of his purpose. And they brought gold, it was for a king. And they brought frankincense, it was for a priest, for a high priest. And when they brought myrrh, it was to represent a burial and the death of God's sacrifice. This love story is so inclusive. It overlooks class and cultural barriers. It didn't take into account or it didn't, um, wasn't affected by the imperfect location and setting. And God wants us to have that same attitude, to connect inclusively with others around us, not just the people that we think should be included in the story. People need connection and love, acceptance, to be treated with kindness, to be understood, to be supported, to be spoken truth to. And we know that because we're people and we need all of that ourselves. Every single one of us is capable of offering something of that to others that God brings into our sphere, into our lives, and not just at Christmas. The nativity is not meant to be kept and limited to that season alone. It's meant to spill over into our lives and then out from us into the lives of others we come in contact with. Many people who are struggling, and maybe you're one of them, and we all have seasons like that, many need you, need me, to share the amazing truth of the nativity with them in a real practical way. And I don't just mean giving them a little nativity snow globe on the 25th of December, although that could be a really lovely place to start, but I mean that to share the story of the nativity 
with them in one way or another through our life, through our words, through our actions, through our sharing of our story. Because the birth of Jesus was ultimately about God rescuing us all by his son stepping in and taking the punishment for our sin and in doing so bringing us new life. But of course there are times in our lives when we return to sin. And in the Bible it talks about um, the fact that we're invited to do something that's called repenting. And to me, the sound of that word, whilst I do understand it, the sound of that word is very religious. And I feel like it's a bit of a disconnect with our culture if we were to use that word in a conversation, like you need to repent, um, might not really be seen as, um, well, it might be seen as judgmental or just irrelevant. But I've learned something new about it. To understand repenting, I figured there must be something called penting. And I can't believe I've never thought of this before. I mean, you use it in the sense of, oh, pent up anger or pent up passion. But like, I've never stopped to think about what it means to pent. So it turns out that it's the past tense of pen, like a pig pen. And it means to confine or to contain something. So when it comes to sin, the sin of the world, the sin in our lives and our hearts, it's Jesus who has done the penting. He has taken our sins. He's paid for them with his own blood on the cross. He's locked those sins up. He's chained them and He has thrown away the key. And we are required to continually turn our back on that sin and repent. Walk in the opposite direction, knowing that it's contained and removed from us by Jesus and by Jesus alone through His blood and not return to it. And there is the concept of repentance in a way that I have never thought of before. It's not a religious term. It is a spiritual freedom term. And that is the story of the nativity. Love is a nativity and it brings spiritual freedom, which is everything, everything. The nativity is a story of the unexpected, unlimited and inclusive love Start and finish your Christmas season whenever you choose. But whenever it is, whenever you start, whenever you finish, let it be a reminder to you of the true story of Jesus' birth, the nativity. And may you have the realisation of God's love, what it means for you personally, and how you can share it with others around you in every single season of life. Thank you.